I think you would agree with me that we live in a world uh, that gives us a lot of reasons to worry, doesn't it? Uh, anybody besides me? I mean, I'm not saying that you do, but it gives us a lot of reasons to, right? And, uh, and there's always rumors about the next thing. Last week we talked about the news that we hear. Uh, it's always bigger. It's always more dramatic. It's always worse because if it bleeds, it leads, right? And, and so we live in a world that gives us so many reasons to worry. It gives us so many re reasons to be anxious. And, and one of the reasons this is important is because we're all living in this world and we're dealing with it. Matter of fact, this, uh, I think it was the 11th was the World Mental Health Day where we just talk about mental health. And I think this fits right into that. I told you last week that I have a tendency, I had my four buckets up here and I talked, I was very transparent in the bucket that I kind of put wrong thoughts or strongholds into. And, and so, this isn't news if you were here last week, but I, I tend to be a little bit of a worrier. Anybody else want to confess that? Any other worriers in the house? Okay, good. We should do a life group, all right? I mean, okay. Uh, we'd never get through it, though, all right? And, 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 and I do, and, and I hate to admit that to you, but I don't have it all together, and, and I'm a bit of a worrier. I, I, I have a tendency to think about the worst-case scenarios. Anybody else do this? Like, you know, it doesn't have to be possible. It's just imaginable, you know, and, and so, and my mind is pretty busy. I got a crazy imagination, right? And then all of a sudden, I have to stop and go, that's not even possible, right? Um, and, and one of the things I know that in my life, it, uh, being a, a little bit of a worry wart is helpful. Help me in my leadership, believe it or not, because I always think about the worst case scenario and build strategies and plans and plan A's and B's and plan C's and plan D's and, and, and most of the things never come to pass. So it's helped me in my leadership a lot, but it has not necessarily been good for my mental health. And so this, when I'm talking about brain battle, this is something that I've had to deal with very directly. Um, and most of it is because of what we referred to last week is neural pathways that are formed in our brain. The Bible would call that a stronghold. And so most of the time, some of the wiring in our brain happens in what we call the formative years from zero, from birth to about five years old. We're already learning how to process danger. We're learning to process all kind of things. And, and if you grow up maybe in a traumatic situation or a bad environment, then it wires us a certain way. And so those wrong neural pathways, they become carved in our brain and those wrong ways of thinking just become natural. How many of you that worry, you don't try to worry, <laughs> it just happens, right, everybody? You understand what I'm saying, right? And, and, and I'm not the only one. I, I feel okay to say this because I, I was just reading in 2019, two out of three Americans said they were anxious or they were extremely anxious to the point of losing sleep. That's a lot of people. That's more people than just raise their hand here. <laughs> In fact, Christians, we have a stigma that, oh, that's just bad. We shouldn't worry. And we're going to deal with that today. Here's what's really tragic. And by the way, that was 2019. That's before the world shut down. I have to believe that it's even higher than that, right? And 91%, and listen to this very carefully. This is why we're putting so much emphasis on our high school ministry right now. 91% of high school and college students report consistent and significant levels of anxiety associated with stress, and the suicide rate amongst that age group has skyrocketed in the last three years. 
On top of all that, on top of the worry, on top of the anxiety, on top of the statistics that I just gave you, on top of all that, what happens oftentimes is we have well-meaning Christians that if you tell them that you're worried or you're anxious, you know what they'll do. They'll preach at you, and they'll give you a hundred Bible verses why it's a sin to be anxious and why it's a sin to worry and why you're a child of God and you shouldn't feel this way, which all that does is take your helping of anxiety and put a whipped cream topping of condemnation on top of it, and they expect you to like the serving. How many know it doesn't taste good, everybody? Right? And, and I understand this is a very complex issue. I wrestled with, do I even have the right to bring this up? I'm not qualified to approach this from a, a clinical or even a medical uh, perspective. But I do want to approach it, and I do think it's my responsibility to approach it from a pastoral uh, perspective. And, and, and you, you, now here's, here's a little disclaimer. You might, this might stir up some things. We had like triple the prayer request last week after part number one. And so this might stir some things up. And I would just say to you that you might need to find professional help also. And, and I have to say, I'm not that person. I wish I was. I, I can be a shepherd and I can point you in directions, but I'm not that person. Um, but what I want to do is eliminate the stigma that there is no shame in counseling, everybody. Uh, the, the greatest athletes in the world are playing football today, and they are coached every day of their life. Come on, are you hearing me? Uh, we, we hire mechanics to fix our cars, and we hire carpenters to do repairs on our houses, and we hire trainers to get our bodies in shape for that 25-year class reunion. You know what I'm saying? And, and so we also need then to, to erase the stigma of counseling and of therapy. So let's eliminate. Come on, that's right. And so... So let's eliminate one stigma right now, and that's this. And I put it on the screen. Anxiety is not a sin. Can I get an amen in the house? Come on. Anxiety is not a sin. Now, depending on where you grew up, some of you are like, duh. That's most of the people that say, duh, are the people that didn't grow up in church. Because any of us that grew up in church that was very legalistic and very harsh and very strict, we were led to believe that anything that didn't look like God, like, like anxiety or worry or any of that, was a sin. And they would uh, pile condemnation. And so then we go into secrecy over our anxiety. And if you've ever dealt with anxiety, how many know that's only adding gasoline to the fire? Because now you're forced to deal with it in the dark places by yourself, which is like that little buffering wheel on your computer. I mean, it just goes crazy, doesn't it? How many know what I'm saying? So we've got to stop throwing stones at people in the church that have issues and realize that the church is a bunch of people with issues. And I am one of them. Well, thanks for no amens. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Oh, you got to be a church person to understand that, all right? We got issues. Look at your neighbor and say, when he says he has, you have issues, he's talking about you. No, you don't have to do that. And by the way, here's, here's something to remind us. Anytime we feel that condemnation, we have to remember Jesus in the garden praying. Does anybody know this story? Come, come on now. 
I, I mean, Jesus shows us that he has full range of his emotions. Yes, he could laugh, and yes, he was full of joy. Don't you love Christians that say, oh, you've got to be full of joy? How many know you can be crying and, and, and have the joy of the Lord all at the same time? How many know you can be wrestling and struggling all at the same time? How many know we are a complex being? How many know what I'm saying, right? And check out Jesus in Matthew 26 when Jesus is praying in the garden. Check out some of these words. It says this, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, who are supposed to be the tough guys, all right? And, and, and he began, watch this, to be, check out Jesus' emotions. He began to be sorrowful. Jesus? Don't you love when you go to a fellow brother or sister in the Lord and say, man, I'm just struggling, and they give you one of those plastic smiles? Come on, this is the day that the Lord has made. How many just want to punch that person? How many... <laughs> I mean, it is a good reminder, and it is true that this is the day that the Lord has made, but I can live in the presence of God and still be wrestling with the tragedies, the accidents, and the incidents of life. And Jesus himself was sorrowful, and he was troubled. Verse 38 says, then he said to them, my soul, that's where anxiety is, is. It, 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 the mind, the, the soul is the mind, it's our psyche, it's our thought process, it's our moods, okay? He says, my soul. Soul, watch this, what Jesus said, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I mean, it was heavy on him. And he said, stay here and keep watch with me. So I want to reiterate that anxiety is not a sin. So if it's not a sin, Kim, then what is it? Maybe it's a symptom. Uh. Maybe it's not a sin. Maybe anxiety is a sign. Come on, like, you know when your engine light comes on in your car? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, that's what that is? <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you know. Have you noticed, like, the more modern cars, they have lights for everything. I was driving my wife's car the other day, and, and it beeped at me and started flashing something at me, and it was telling me that the road was going to be icy. And I'm thinking, wow, that car is smarter than I am. I mean, like, how does it know? But, but it, it signifies, what the car's doing is it's signifying to us that something might be wrong or to pay attention to something or there might need to be some maintenance. Uh, now, now, I know I'm being silly on this point, but how many know the car's not sinning? The car's just signaling or giving us a sign. It's letting us know that maybe maintenance is required. Maybe there's ice on the road. Maybe the tire pressure isn't what it should be. Maybe it's time to change the oil. And maybe anxiety could be a signal in our life. I want to I propose to you today three signals that anxiety might be actually saying to you, uh, three signals that it might be giving. And, and one is you're going to go, oh, well, yeah, of course. But I'm going to pull them all out of an Old Testament story. So anxiety might be a signal, and it might be alerting you to the fact that it's time to, number one, pray. Just pray. Well, we don't really even do many messages on prayer anymore because it doesn't excite anybody. 
It doesn't build big churches. But how many know anxiety could be just a signal that maybe I need to fall on my face before my maker and the captain of the universe who is not looking for the answer to my problem, but he is the sum total to every equation of every problem that I will ever have. He didn't have to find the answer. He is the answer. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is LMNOP. Come on. He is the answer. And, and so maybe we ought to just, maybe we ought to recognize that it's time to pray. Now, I'm going to show you this. We're, we're going to see this in one of the great Old Testament kings, and I'm going to paraphrase part of it. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament, but let me paraphrase some of it. This Old Testament king, he had multiple armies coming at him from every place, every position. He had multiple. It wasn't one army. It was multiple armies. How many can feel his pain? Most of us in this place, I understand, it's not one problem that takes you down. Am I right? It's when all of life seems to attack you. It's not raining. How many know it's pouring, right? And just everything is against you. The job, the boss, the spouse, the kids, the church, the government. It just feels like everything is coming at you. Doesn't it feel more and more like that's the world that we're living in? Where it's not one thing. It's a whole lot of things. we got to keep our eyes not on one thing, but, it, but it's just all around us. And it might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, Lord. And so this king, he knew that he had to pray. Let's, let, let's pick up the story in 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. I love this story. And, and so I'm picking it up kind of. It's already started. All the nations, all the armies have already gathered, and they're, they're, they're coming towards them. And And so some people came and told Jehoshaphat, he's the king. Uh, Aren't you glad your parents didn't name you Jehoshaphat, right? (laughs) Don't you feel that that would just set your life in a direction to eat Twinkies all the time? I mean, anyway, all right. What's wrong with that? Okay, yeah. And, And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, this king, a vast army is coming against you. Alarmed, I put terrified there because one translation, more than one translation, uses the word terrified. And, and if we're being real about anxiety, um, sometimes alarmed doesn't just quite capture. If you were really telling the truth, I know when you're in your circle of church friends, you say, well, I have a deep concern in my spirit. But if you were telling the truth, you'd say, I'm terrified right now. And that's what this says. It says, I'm terrified. Terrified, Jehoshaphat resolved, watch this, here it is, to inquire of the Lord. That was the first thing he did. He didn't go to Facebook. He didn't go to social media. The first thing he did is he went to the Lord and he inquired of the Lord. And then he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. How many know where our help comes from? Our help comes from the Lord. And um, they came from every town in Judah to seek help. Him. It goes on, it says a little bit more. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord. So it was like he stood up before the people, all right, in front of the, uh, the new courtyard, and he said, So he began to pray. And so here's his prayer He says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, you are not the God who is, or, or excuse me, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms. And all the nations, you, you rule over it all, right? You don't have to check with somebody higher than you to answer this prayer. You rule over it all. 
And uh, power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. It goes on and says a little bit more. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of the land before the people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? That's another way of saying, God, haven't you delivered me time after time after time after time? And, and could I just add my own little perspective? He hasn't delivered you. He hasn't worked miracles in your life. He hasn't brought you this far in life to stop now. Right? Come on now. All right? And, and they have lived in it, and they have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us. Come on. And you will save us. How many know that's a prayer of faith he had right there? He, he, he's saying, it doesn't matter if it goes my way or not. I'm going to stand in your presence. I, I'm going to come to you. Uh, I, I told you last week that I'd give you a list of resources, uh, some of the books that I read in preparation for this series, uh, for those of you that want to do a deeper dive. And so uh, here they are. Here's, here's some of them. Now, I know somebody's saying, well, what about the Bible? Come on, everybody. Isn't that a given right now? Okay. All right. Uh, and, and these are the ones, I'll, I'll tell you what they are. You can take a picture of them. Um, and this isn't all of them. I just couldn't list them all because over the years, I've read tons of books on, you know, things that uh, like Brain Battle and Battlefield of Your Mind, Joyce Myers, and all kind of um, uh, books because I had to cut new neural pathways in my own brain so that I didn't get caught going down the same cow path all the time. Does that make sense? So I didn't respond the same way all the time. I've been making a, a little fun out of this. But Christians, we know how to act, but we might have to retrain our brain so we know how to react. Right? And so here's some of them. This one, uh, Overcoming Unwanted Intrusive Thoughts, is a, a great book. Uh, I've read most of that book. Uh, Carmen, our daughter-in-law, went through that book. I think even took a course. And uh, if you'd like to know more, uh, she's, uh, for those of you that know Carmen, you can wave at us, and, and she'll talk to you about it. And, or you can email the church, and she'll get with you on that. Addicted to Drama. Have you ever met the person addicted to drama? How many know the person that's addicted to drama don't realize they're addicted to drama? How many are getting elbowed by your spouse right now? <laughs> addicted to drama. It's just, I always got a problem. And it's always worse than the last time. And, and our brain gets stuck in a neural pathway. And we always have to have some kind of drama because that's what's become normal to us. Great book, Addicted to Drama. Uh, Greg, uh, Craig Groeschel, uh, Winning the War in Your Mind, another great book. And then this one, I want to make a comment on this one, Switch on Your Brain. Uh, this is a Christian writer here, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. I was going to give you all her credentials, but like when you go to her webpage, her credentials, uh, I mean, there's words in her credentials, I don't even know what they mean, all right? So... But I want to I want to extract one little thing she said in this book uh, that she wrote in Switch on Your Brain. She wrote this: It has been found. Now this is proven by all kinds of studies, so just take the word. It, it, it's been found that in 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Everybody. Now tell me you don't have time to pray. 
Mm -hmm. It can be, watch this, that 12 minutes a day, 12 minutes for over eight weeks, it shows up on brain scans. In other words, new neural pathways are being cut. Let me say it in a Christian way. Strongholds are being taken down and wrong ways of thinking are being eliminated. And Paul says in Ephesians to be renewed in our mind. And we do that through getting involved and connecting with our Lord and Savior. Can I get an amen on that one, right? So, so not only does prayer, not only does it keep us uh, close to God, but it tears down strongholds in our brain. Now, I understand that God designed the brain to have fear. And, and, and so I love when people say, yeah, but perfect love casts out all fear. You need to get that verse into context. It's the fear of being ousted from the family of God. But God put in us the ability to have fear. Like when you're walking through the woods and you hear a sound, how many know... A little bit of fear could be good because Bigfoot could be hiding. You know what I'm saying, right? Uh, okay. And so God designed us to have fear. It's a warning signal. And you hear a voice in the night or you hear a sound in the woods. It's an alarm. Okay? So that's okay. What's bad is when the, uh, when the alarm gets stuck and the alarm is always going on and the alarm is always telling the mind, uh, fight, flight, or freeze. Because we've had so much trauma in our life, or we've had enough bad things in our life, and so there's an alarm saying something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And so what happens, though, if we live under that constantly, especially in our formative years, we will get stuck in every problem needs a hammer. In other words, I solve every problem by fighting. Come on, how many of you fought some battles you didn't need to fight, you just needed to talk? Yeah, come on. Uh, four people raise their hand. Uh, next week's message is on liar, liar, pants on fire. All right? Okay. All right? So, all right? So what happens is we'll either fight or we'll run. Oh, this person's no good. This job is no good. This church is no good. And we run and we go try to find that somewhere else. And, and it's super good for the moment, but eventually we'll run from that one also. Or, or we freeze and we just, like a deer in headlights, and we expect somebody else to take charge of a problem that's unique to you. Okay, um, here's the Greek definition for the word anxiety. Uh, the Greek definition for anxiety is dwelling on or meditating on fearful thoughts. Just dwelling on. It's, it's like a cow. It just chews it. It swallows it. I know it's gross. It spits it back up, and it chews it some more, and you're just dwelling and dwelling and dwelling. I say it this way. We're rehearsing rather than dispersing. And so what's happening is we're training our brains how to think. We're training. When we're dwelling on those things, we're cutting neural pathways in our brains. And so it becomes, watch this, it becomes natural to focus on, on fearful things. Something bad happens, and it's just natural. Maybe it's because of your childhood. Maybe it's because that's the pathway you've cut in your brain. Maybe it's because that's how you always solve the problem. I overeat. I overdrink. I lay in bed at night. I, I self-medicate. I do all kinds of things. That's the pathway I take whenever there is fear or anxiety in my, in my life. And it could be natural. For me, this is going to sound weird, but for me to worry about something, it, I came by it honestly. It's not God's plan, but I grew up in a lot of trauma. And so I was trained, not on purpose, but I was trained to look for the bad, to always be watching out. 
Always watching out. Not to trust, not to watch out, watch out, because there could be a problem. And so when there's a problem or a potential problem, and watch this. Come on, I know you can relate. Even when there's not a problem, I'm looking for the problem. Come on, talk to me, somebody, right? You know you are. It's like, ooh, I can't even enjoy a good day because I'm waiting for the bad day. It's right around the corner. Come on, I see you shaking your head, yeah. But it might be natural, but here's what I want you to see. Um, Prayer is supernatural, and supernatural always trumps natural. It always wins over the natural, right, everybody? And, and, And because as we've learned last week, the weapons of our warfare, they're not natural, Right? Our theme verse in this series is 2 Corinthians 10. I want to read it this time. We usually read out of the NIV. I want to read it out of the Living Bible uh, just to maybe help you think about it a little bit different. And, and here's what it says. It is true that I, am not an, uh, that I am an ordinary, weak human being. But I don't use human plans and methods. I love this because that's why I can get up here and say I'm just a weak individual. I have a tendency to worry about things. And and I know somebody eventually will use that against me, but I don't care because Paul, he said he's weak also. And so I'm in pretty good company. And and he said, but I don't use human plans and methods. I I don't use all those to win my battles. And I'm not saying self-helps and medicine. I'm not even saying those are bad. But there comes a point they'll only help you to so far. Right, everybody? And I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. Uh, I'm not going to, for the sake of time, read the rest of that verse. But um, it's a stronghold. And as we've defined, a stronghold is a wrong way of thinking or a wrong way of processing or a wrong way of reacting to the challenges uh, of life. And it could come because of how we were predisposed or, or our early years or how our brains are wired. But one more time, I want to say anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety could be, number one, it's a sign to pray. Here's the next one out of this story. Um, it, it, oh, oh, by the way, let me say this. I said this to the dream team uh, this morning. If it's on your mind, it's on his heart. And that, I mean, that, that explains the character of God so well. Because some of us are ashamed to admit, hey, God, I'm, I'm, I got this thing on my mind. I know it shouldn't be there. And religion makes us feel condemned to even tell God. Here's a news alert. He already knows. He does. And so if it's on your mind, it's on his heart because you're his child and he cares about you. And whether you should be or shouldn't be, none of that matters. If it's on your mind, it's on his heart. Isn't that a good, good father, everybody? So anxiety is a sign to pray. It also could be that it's a sign to pause. Now, I'm just going to admit, I don't even like this point. It's probably going to be the shortest point in the message. All right, I just, I don't even like this point. But watch this. Um, Verse number 12, we'll pick up in the story in verse number 12. Jehoshaphat saying, our God, will you not judge them? In other words, God, they're your problem. God, (laughs) never mind. Be good. Be good, Ken. Be good, Ken. All right. For we have no power to face this vast army. Some of us are trying to face issues in the natural that we don't have power to overcome because they are supernatural issues. Okay, um, we do not know what to do. Have you just ever, kn- I don't know what to do. Anybody? 
I just, I don't even know what to do. All right. I'm trying to get everybody in the house to eventually raise their hand. Okay. All right. I, I don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. Check that verse 13 out. All the men of Judah, these are warriors, everybody. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Waiting here for you. Right? There's armies coming against them. And guess what they did? They stood there. Jehoshaphat prayed. And guess what they did? They stood there. When, when, when our protesters come on our campus and try to tell us all these bad things out there, please don't engage. It's not a battle you can win. It's not about, it's not, Jesus said, don't throw your pearls among the swine. Don't go out there and try to convince them why they're wrong. It's not our battle. It's God's battle. It's not our church. It's his church. He, he said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. Come on, somebody, right? Okay. Uh, and, 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 and if you do go out there, all they're looking for is a sound bite that they can put on their page and, and going to make you look bad. So don't do that, all right? So we got to pause. Sometimes, this is code word for waiting on the Lord, one of the things that as Americans we're great at, waiting on the Lord. How many are like me and don't like to wait? Come on, be honest in church. Come on, wave it up there, wave it up there. All right. In fact, you're having a hard time with that. I've already been 22 minutes preaching, and you're like, can we be done yet? All right. So I don't like to wait. If you're like me, I like to do. I like to see a problem and, ha, ah, here we go, right? And, and if I've learned anything as I've gotten older, it's the value of waiting on God and watching God work out things that I would have been stressed out about. I worked for my uncle when I was a teenager for a few summers, and, and, and he was a carpenter, and I would just come and be the laborer. And he taught me a valuable lesson. He said, look, if you're going to come to work for me, here's just one thing I want you to know. Never just stand there. Do something. He said, just never stand. I don't ever want to catch you with your hands in your pocket. Just do something. Hand me a tool, sweep up, clean up, pick up, uh, walk in circles, look like you're busy, but never just stand there, do something. But the opposite is true in my spiritual walk, because in my spiritual walk, I have learned that I shouldn't always do something. Sometimes I just need to stand there. After I've done all to stand, right, everybody? Come on, you didn't amen that, so let me back it up with Scripture. I, Isaiah chapter number 40. It says, he gives power to the tired. He gives power to the worn out and strength to the weak. In other words, if you want his strength, you got to be weak. Mm -hmm. and, and even the youth shall be exhausted and the young men will give up. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Come on, everybody. Isn't that good? The, only those that wait. I, I think that the source of, of so much of our anxiety as Americans is we never slow down. And by the way, we're not, God didn't build us to process all the world news at one time. I mean, used to we were supposed to be concerned about our neighborhood and our neighbors and our next-door neighbor and our family. But now we know every issue that's going on around the whole planet, and it bombards our brain, and we wonder why we are anxious. It's because we have access to everything, and it's not helping us. Janessa did a life group last semester. It's over now, but I would highly suggest the book. It's a book that uh, a few years ago, 2019, radically changed my life by John Mark Colmer, and, and uh, it's called the ruthless elimination of hurry it's about reinstilling a sabbath in your life a time just to rest that's what god told us to do 
All right? And um, let's, let's pick up the rest of that verse, in, and then I'll give you point number three, and I'll be out of your way. In verse number 15, it says this. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. It's God's. Now, how many would agree with me that's a lot easier to read than to do, right? But sometimes anxiety could be an indicator light that tells us to pray, and sometimes it could be an indicator light for those of us that are addicted to drama to let it go and wait on the Lord. And then lastly, anxiety could be a signal that it's time to praise. This is how I fight my battles. See, the Bible says this, that when we lift him up, he will inhabit the praises of his people. In other words, when we, and, and this morning, you did a great job. I loved it this morning. I mean, you were singing. And while we were singing, I, I, I felt the presence of God just kind of moving. And, and how many would agree with me that while you were singing, there's a victory coming, and this is how I fight my battles? All of a sudden, did you notice all, all of a sudden in the room there was peace, and all of a sudden you weren't spinning out of control on things that maybe you walked in with? See, that's what should make church kind of addicting, that when I come together with God's people and we praise God and get our eyes off of this week and get our eyes onto God and let God be bigger. See, that's what happens when we praise because when we praise, we get our eyes off of ourselves and we get our eyes on how great God is. Isn't it true, everybody? And I know I'm going to date myself and I'm going to sound like a lifelong churchgoer, which I am. But I like what the old hymn writer said. Come on, grandmas and grandpas. And, and the old hymn writer said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Isn't it true? And, and it says, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. Isn't it true? In the light of his glory and grace. Uh, it's, it's a tragedy that some of our young people don't know the words of this. It's not a tragedy that you don't know the hymn. It's a tragedy that we haven't taught a next generation how to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Right, everybody? And he's so right because when we praise, all of a sudden the things that I'm spinning out of control about seem so small in the light of eternity. So small in the light of grace. So small in the light of who God is. Jehoshaphat, he did something extremely unusual. If you'll read the rest of the story, I'll read some of it to you. But So this vast army is coming. And so he inquires of the Lord, hey, Lord, what should we do? You know, we're going we're gonna to go around. We're going to ambush him. We're going to attack him at nighttime. Uh, I mean, all kind of, th that, that's how I'd be planning. Anybody else planning like that? Oh, no, they didn't. I'll do, I'll, I'll go Mr. Miyagi on him. You know what I'm talking about, right? And, but, but Jehoshaphat, this great king, he doesn't send his, his, his strongest warriors. He sent his worship team. What? Worship team? You mean the worship guy that wears skinny jeans? He's going to go do this for us? Like, no, he sent the worship team. Check it out, verse number 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. That's what they did. I mean, they're coming. The dust is rising in the horizon. They're coming. The problem is on. The battle is on. And let's just 
pause, and while we're paused, let's worship a little bit. And, and, and then some of the Levites from uh, whatever and uh, <laughs> stood up, and they watch what they did. They praised the Lord. The, what did they do? Come on, they praise. I, I don't care if you don't know that other word. I care if you know the word praise. What they did was they praised the Lord. By the way, the Levites, they, they, were the, the, they, were the soul, they were the ones that would lead in battle. But the Levites said, no, 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 let's just praise the Lord. See, some of you think it's hype when I get up here every Sunday and say, come on, let's give the Lord a good hand clap. What I want us to do is recognize when we're in this place, come on, it, I know we all have problems. Every one of us do. I fought de devils this week also, just like you did. I got bills to pay just like you. And if you don't have bills to pay, I'll share some of mine with you. All right, everybody? But the truth of the matter is, is that we come in here to set all that stuff aside and just praise God and just pause a minute and say, time out. My God is worthy of my praise. Come on now. Right, 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 right. And, and, and by the way, I love this. For all of you think, oh, that church is just too loud. Well, they did it with a very loud voice. Come on. Can I get somebody to say amen in this place? <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I just don't know where we got this mindset that, oh, church is so quiet. Then go have it, not me. I need to make some noise. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, now, I would read the rest of this to you. Go on, show me at least the next verse so they can take a picture of it. Um, watch this. Well, I, I want to pull out verse 22. It starts right here. As they began to sing and praise the Lord. Excuse me. As they began to sing and praise... The Lord set ambushes against the men. Now, here's what I want you to notice. As they began to praise, the Lord took care of the battle. In other words, let, let, me, let me say it another way. They praised before they won. <laughs> they praised before they were healed. They praised before the check came in the mail. They praised before the problem got solved. They praised, come on, before the devil waved a white flag. They praised in the midst of the problem. I want to see some Christians that have the faith to just praise him, even though all hell is breaking out around you. Can we just praise God one time? Come on, let's do that all over this place. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to end there before I get too excited. All right, everybody? Will you receive that message today, everybody? Come on, let's be the praisingest church in Skagit Valley. <laughs>